Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Today in this great and wonderful and joyous feast, we are celebrating our mother's birthday. We only celebrate three birthdays in our liturgical calendar. That, of course, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that of St. John the Baptist, and today, that of our blessed Mother Mary. You can't worship in the Orthodox Church for very long without realizing that our blessed Mother, the Virgin, is very important to us. She's very involved in our relationship to God and our relationship to one another. She is always present among us. Now, depending on your particular religious background, all this attention paid to the Mother of God may be a little confusing, even difficult to accept at first. Perhaps it seems to some that we're giving her too much attention to the point of treating her like a god. Well, she is a human being. She was created as a human being like all of us and she's in need of a savior just as you and I are. Perhaps these same folks that think we're giving her too much attention have never stopped to think about the fact that most people give far more attention to their jobs, their kids, their hobbies, their shoe collection, their fantasy football team than they do to Jesus Christ anyway. I think giving more attention to the Blessed Mother of God than our shoe collection and fantasy football team is nothing that we should be ashamed of. Some of you have heard me share this, so I ask you to bear with me, but I want to tell you a personal story from my own life and how I came to uh, appreciate our Blessed Mother. Long before I became Orthodox, which was a very long gestation period, almost 20 years, but long before I was praying Orthodox prayers seven times a day, I, um, I was working by myself and for myself, so I had the freedom uh, to do that. And so I'd stop in the midst of the day seven times and, and say my prayers. And in these prayers, there was always uh, a little hymn or a little intercession prayer directed to Mary. And at this point in my understanding and growth towards apostolic Christianity, I was still, I understood the importance of Mary, uh, but I was still a little uncomfortable with either hymning her or asking for her intercession, praying to her. So when I came to this part of the prayer, uh, as I prayed, and it was in all seven, you know, it was always there. When I came to it, I felt uncomfortable, so I didn't know what to do, so I just skipped it. You know, I just leapfrogged right over top of it and didn't say it. And I, I did that for a few months. I don't remember how long, but it was a few months. And I started to become aware of something that was happening to me on the inside. Slowly, it was a slow kind of thing, and it started to dawn on me that every time I came to this hymn towards Mary and I skipped it, I began to increasingly feel uncomfortable skipping it. And I became more and more uncomfortable skipping it to the point that I was more uncomfortable skipping it than I was saying it. Now, this is something not something I thought out. It's something that happened to me while I was praying and worshiping 
uh, God. And I began to say, you know, what, wh why do I feel this way now? Why do I feel more uncomfortable not saying the prayer than saying the prayer? And it began to dawn on me that for hundreds, if not thousands of years, these prayers had been said by the saints, written by the saints, many of whom gave their very lives. And I, my little, you know, snot-nosed, know-nothing, you know, juvenile self, I was retooling these great prayers that had been handed down to fit, you know, my own perspective and my own ignorant paradigm. And I began to, been, began to dawn on me how arrogant this was. And it just seemed really inappropriate and began to make me uncomfortable. So I wasn't sure what to do about this. I was between a rock and a hard place because I had no one to guide me at this point, And I certainly did not know anything about the doctrines of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so I decided to take a risk. I thought it through. And I thought, you know, I'm going to take a risk. Uh, you know, God is a merciful God. If I get this wrong, he'll probably forgive me. Right. So, uh, but before I launched in, I actually said a little prayer and I said, Lord, I, I don't know what to do here. I have no one to guide me. Um, and you know my heart, but I, I feel more uncomfortable not saying them than saying them. So I'm going to go ahead and say the, say the prayers and I, I hope you won't uh, hold it against me. So I began to incorporate uh, these prayers and I began to say, say them. And Mary came into, you know, her presence uh, became a part of of my daily prayers. And something very amazing happened. Something very amazing happened. All the grand, profound doctrines which describe the Blessed Virgin's involvement in God's economy of salvation, all these explications of this great mystery of this particular woman, why she is so important and how she is so important to God's plan, all of these things, they did not become known to me at all, as I said these prayers. <laughs> uh, they did not just magically sort of like infuse themselves into my intellect and my rational cognitive brain. No, not because I just said a few short hymns and prayers. But something else happened. Something even better than that. Within a week or two of saying these prayers, I had a revelation. I had a revelation. I had a revelation that the Blessed Virgin Mary is not a doctrine to be figured out or explicated. She is not a conundrum. She's not a concept or some abstract philosophical theory to resolve. The Blessed Mary is the woman who bore the God-man. And she is still his mother. And she is our mother. In short, she's a person. She is a person we can know. She's not a doctrine to be solved. She's a person to know. You don't solve a person. You know a person. All the men in the room who are married know full well. You don't solve a person. <laughs> the great mystery of the woman that we live with, we understand she will never be solved. But she can be known. You know and you love a person. And Mary is a person. And that was the revelation I had. That is what began to happen to me. I didn't figure it out. You know, I wasn't thinking about this. It happened to me because she became involved 
in my worship of God, and I sought her help and her intercession. And through this experience, I became personally acquainted with her. Her very personhood slowly became known to me. That she's a real person with a human soul that we can know and relate to. And that she loves her son and her God more than any other human being does. And that she always points us to him. And she always teaches us how to love him as she loves him. Well, that experience changed my life. I still didn't know anything about the doctrines of the Blessed Virgin. I did later, and I'm still learning, of course, about the doctrine and the dogma of why and how she's important in God's economy of salvation. And this knowledge is also enriching and important. But I've always been grateful that first I was introduced to her personally. I came to know her as a person, a tender yet uncompromising mother who loved me and wanted me to love Jesus Christ with my whole heart. This came before my exploration of doctrine. For those who are suspicious that she is given too much credit for her role, I would point out that by celebrating this very feast today, her nativity, her birth, along with her conception, which we also have a feast for her conception, by celebrating this feast, we are making it very clear that it was God's divine plan from before the creation of the world to choose her and to prepare her to be his mother. What are we celebrating in this feast? What great feats of faith and virtue has she accomplished as an infant, as a fetus? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. We're not lauding her accomplishments in this feast. She is great and worthy of honor. She is our joy, not for what she has done, but for, God, for what God has done. We are rejoicing and delighting in the power and the glory and the goodness of God as we celebrate the feast of her nativity. If you want to worship God and give him due honor, you must give thanks and delight in what he has done for you and for all creation. He has made us partakers of his divinity by grace. He's glorified us with the same glory that the Son had with the Father from the beginning. That's what Jesus prays in John 17. It's the very purpose of your existence, the meaning of our life, the meaning of the cosmos. It's the source of all our fulfillment and joy, our delight, our relationship, our delight with Mary is a manifestation of our recognition of these things, of our gratitude for these things. That is how we glorify God. In the first creation, think about this. In the first creation, our first parents in the Garden of Paradise, Adam was the first one to come. Adam was created first from the dust of the earth. And then the woman, Eve, the mother of all the living, she was created next from Adam's side. But in the new creation, in the new creation, things are switched around a bit. There is a new Adam and a new Eve, but strangely, the order is reversed. First, we see the new Eve, who shall become the mother of the living one. She appears first, and then comes the last Adam, 
the second man. St. Gregory Palamas calls her in herself a new and mysterious paradise because from her God brought forth the God-man, the new Adam, who shall renew mankind and the whole world. In celebrating her conception in nativity, we are celebrating the fact that God has predestined and prepared her to fill this glorious role. A human being, a pure human being, he is called to fulfill this grand and glorious role. One of us. One of us. She cooperated with it by her faith and will and submission to God. She obeyed when Eve disobeyed. She trusted when Eve disbelieved. She discerned the truth when Eve was deceived. All of this is true. And it is also true that she could have said no. But this in no way mitigates the fact that it was God's plan and God's preparation and God's gift of grace that made her who and what she is. Gregory, again, St. Gregory Palamas, he calls her a book. He calls her a book. She's a book, a marvelous book, a paradoxical book, he says. Upon her is written not just words, but the word, the word of eternal life, the word of God, the eternal word. She also becomes a tabernacle, a tabernacle not made with hands, who contains the uncontainable. As the psalmist says, truth has sprung up from the earth. Jesus is the truth and she is the earth. Just as Eve came from the side of Adam who was earth, now the true man comes from the earth of her womb. He who is the truth comes from the blessed Virgin Mary's womb. You know, there are many types in the Old Testament which point to our blessed mother. The ark, the rod of Jesse, the burning bush, the tower of David, and on and on. God planned to become a man from before the foundation of the world. God made Adam in the image of the Christ who was to come. Again and again we read this in the scriptures. That it was in the mind of God that he would become incarnate. And he made the worlds so that he could become incarnate. And this entire plan of God, the very reason for the existence of all things, hinges on one thing. One thing. Not you. And not me. One thing. When God conceived, we're speaking in human terms, understand. When God conceived becoming man in the very same thought, in the same thought, he conceived how he would become man. He conceived the point of entry. That the uncreated would enter the created realm, which he is going to create so that he can enter it. God's a little Irish in his thinking. That point of entry through which he would take our created nature and become one of us, which he prepared from the very beginning, that is the Blessed Virgin Mary. This leads us to grasp and contemplate today's collect, which might have shocked you a little bit, but it shouldn't when you understand Our colleague said, we beseech thee, O Lord, to bestow upon us thy servants the gifts of thy heavenly grace, that as the childbearing of the Blessed Virgin was unto us the beginning of our salvation, so the devout observance of her nativity may avail for the increasing of our peace. The fathers also teach us 
that in her nativity we have the beginning of our salvation. How bold. How bold. This is only to recognize that she becomes the touch point, the preordained plan through which our salvation would enter the world. She is not some arbitrary choice of God. God was not surprised by sin. He didn't create the world. Oh, I think I'll create everything. And then sin comes along and then he says, Oy vey, what shall I do now? Oh, I think I'll become a man and go down there and, you know, die and take care of all of this. Oh, well, if I'm going to become a man, I need a mother. You know, and he sends out his angelic search committee. And, you know, they, they roam about the earth to and fro and they find this nice little virgin girl, Mary. Sweet little girl. She's very pious. She'll do. She's a good candidate. That's not how it happened at all. And scrambling to come up with a candidate to be the mother of God. No. God prepared her from the beginning. She was in his thought. She was in the same thought. She was the same thought as the incarnation. They cannot be separated. The incarnation is the same thought as her. That's why she's so important. That's why this typology in the Old Testament pointing to her over and over again. That's why, by the way, we had the two lessons today from the Book of Wisdom and from Proverbs chapter 8 and from our Gospel. The genealogy, which again points to God's plan for her conception and birth, which becomes the possibility of the incarnation. And also from Proverbs chapter 8, don't be confused, this passage is about the pre-incarnate Christ. Why do we read that on the feast of her nativity? Because of everything I've been saying. You cannot conceive of the pre-incarnate Christ without her. She is the vehicle that God prepared for this to be a reality. One of my daughters, one time, I remember this story, she spoke to her mother about some things that she was wrestling with, and she did not come to me uh, immediately, even though she wanted my input. I don't think why she could even explain why she went to mom, but it just seemed like the thing to do. This daughter and I, as with all my daughters, we have a wonderful, close relationship, trusting relationship. And in this case, as I later learned, she cared so much about what I would say to her and my response that she needed to sort of process this through mom first. I wasn't offended or hurt. In fact, I felt honored by this. It was because of the honor and respect she felt for her father that caused her to process this first through her mother. I feel that sometimes when I pray. I don't know how to describe it, but when I ask for Mary's intercession, sometimes I feel that. I pray the rosary daily and seek her help often. Sometimes I just need to speak to my mother before, you know, I need her help to process and work through some things. And she always points me to Christ and glorifies Christ in my heart and in my mind. I encourage you, if you, you know, I'm sure if you're Orthodox, you accept the teachings of the church, of her importance in the economy of God. But I encourage you to make her personally important in your own life. 
to turn to her and ask for her help. You asked me to pray for you. Well, her prayers are a lot stronger than mine. I mean, I'm still happy to pray for you. But you should seek her help as well. She's there for all of us. And she, she creates within us a tenderness and a love for Christ in a way that's very special. So I encourage you, if you sort of maybe put her on the back burner or maybe not sought to ask for her intercession or venerated her adequately in your prayer life, I encourage you to do that and to begin to incorporate and bring her into your life as you learn how to love her Son and her Savior and God, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.